0: Confident people are comfortable with silence. And one of the exercises I do with people in workshops is I'll say, when someone asks you or gives you an objection, you don't have to rush into your answer. It's one small step for man, liftoff, we have a liftoff. We choose to go to the moon, not because they are easy, but because they I are I have hard. a dream. You can't handle the truth. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super,
1: super you. Well, welcome to today's Super U podcast. I'm your host Eric Qualman. most you know me as Equal Man. I am so excited today. I've got a good friend, John on, and he just wrote another book. Can you believe it? He just wrote another book. The sale is in the tale, all about storytelling. No matter what you do, you've probably heard you need to be good at storytelling. And so that's what we're going to go over today from one of the world's most renowned experts. He's got 1.2 million views on his TED Talk. So check it out. Uh, one of the most viewed TED Talks out there. So definitely go check that out as well. Uh, again, John Livesey and here we are. Welcome, John.
0: Thanks, Eric. Always great spending time with you.
1: No, I am so honored. I was able to do, yes, we do the forward for the book, The Sails and the Tail, which you can see right behind you. Gorgeous mm-hmm. cover. Um, and then your TED Talk also talks about sitting on your perch as a lifeguard. You can see in the cover for the listening audience, <laughs> you can see in the cover that there's a, a life raft. Um, yes. Explain to us the meaning behind that a little bit, if you don't mind.
0: No, not at all. Well, my whole premise, my observation is that people are drowning in a sea of sameness. And it's, you know, I'm a lawyer, I'm a speaker, I'm a coach, I'm an accountant, I'm a whatever. And I thought, you know, people just, everyone's the same, what's the cheapest price? So that's the big pain point I really noticed. And I thought, if I can help people tell a story and be the lifeguard for them, hence uh, the storytelling really is the life preserver that gets you out of that drowning feeling of everyone just thinks of me as a vendor, which I, you know I hated that when I was selling advertising or equipment of uh, mainframe computers that people would say, "Well, you're a vendor," and I'd be like, "Oh, <laughs> what a horrible <laughs> label." But,
1: <laughs> no, for sure. I was just thinking about the old vending machine. You walk into the supermarket, it's got a, a, a pack of camels, or maybe it's the old Clark Bar, or what you would call it. You pull it out, it's the vending yeah. machine, it's vendor. Um no, so I mean most of the listeners are like, Okay, I got it. I know I need to storytell. Um there's classes. At universities, being taught on storytelling. I know you lecture at the University of Texas. The class I'm spe- teach on digital leadership in the fall. At Northwestern said, "Hey, you have to have a component of storytelling." So I'll probably be reaching out to you for that as well. So. Listeners are like, all right, I know I have to story tell no matter what I do. If it's a mom trying to convince their kid to eat their vegetables, it's just the way we're hardwired. We remember stories better. Uh, it's yes. more compelling. It draws us in. Um, so there's that person that's out there saying, I got. Ga- I know I got to story tell, uh, especially if I'm in sales. And I've never done it. So, like, how do I do it?
0: Well, the good news is it's not. Like a gift you b- have to be born with. Like if you're an opera singer or an athlete and you think, well, I don't, I'll never be that. No. And then there's some people that say, you know, I think I tell pretty good stories. And I'm like, well, let's look at that. And then there's a big aha moment. So the good news is there's a structure to it and some basic templates that I put in the sale in the tale so that people can follow it. And a little quick checklist. So let's go over what a good story should have. And I have people write this down typically, and then they go, oh, I have three questions I have to ask myself of whether the story works or not. Is it clear? Is it concise? And is it compelling? And the reason for those three things, Eric, is if it's not clear and confusing, people say, no, the confused mind goes, well, I don't get this. I'm not going to work that hard to understand it. I, I'm out. Um, the concise element is, especially in the world of corporate sales, for the meeting after the meeting. And most people don't even think about that. All they do is they come in, they pitch, and hope for the best. But if you really put your empathy hat on and think about the people listening to these pitches, they have a meeting after all the pitch meetings. And they go, well, who do you think we should pick? For a speaker or uh, equipment or whatever it is. And if you haven't told a story, it all just blurs together. But if the story is too long and they can't remember it, They can't repeat it in the meeting after the meeting. And that's the real secret. And then, of course, compelling because we all buy emotionally. I don't care what it is. Uh, And then back it up with logic. So without a good struggle or a conflict or some kind of challenge, there's no emotion to it. And there's really not a story there. So that's the first thing is let me look at the stories I'm telling. And are they those three things? And if one of them's missing, I could make it better just by adding that in.
1: No, I love it. It's clear, concise, and compelling. Um, sometimes when I'm prepping for a speech, mm-hmm. that at the end, I always make sure I ask myself, if I was in the audience, I'm going to ask, so what, now what? <laughs> and, so, and I know you always stress this, hey, never tell a story without making a point. So clear, concise, and compelling. Um, is there any tricks to like, to where, okay, I got it. It's going to be clear, concise, compelling. Everyone has good stories, but they don't really realize it. Like every human being has like an interesting story okay. that they can kind of wrap and then really tie it to what they're talking about.
0: Correct. Well, I think the concept of what is the structure, uh, most people don't realize how important the exposition, you got to think of yourself like a journalist. Who, what, where, when? Give us some details because without that, we don't we're not pulled into the story. You have to paint the picture. I was working with a healthcare company and they were talking about a patient like how old is the patient? What's the patient's name? Where were they? Oh, and suddenly we're in the story because we have all this context, we can start visualizing. Then as I mentioned that problem really has to be described with words like struggling mm-hmm. or their feeling of overwhelm or uh, That There's some pain point that you're putting an emotional word with, and then your solution is usually fairly straightforward. But here's the part that most people really forget. It's the resolution. What is life like after they've bought you, had you as a speaker, whatever it Mm -hmm. is? And I always say, you know, think of the Wizard of Oz ending if Dorothy got in the balloon to go back to Kansas, the end. (sighs) I know, there's this wonderful scene with her back in bed and black and white again and going, oh, there's no place like home. I've taken all this for granted and all of you mean so much to me. And that's part of why that story is a classic. And most of our stories don't have a resolution like that. I can give you an example of one.
1: Yeah, that'd be great.
0: Uh, I was uh, working with a healthcare tech company and I I said, um, what are you saying now to get doctors to buy this? Oh, it makes the surgeries go 30% faster so logical. Why don't you want one? I don't understand. And I said, yeah, there's not a story there. So here's what they tell now. Imagine how happy Dr. Higgins was down at Long Beach Memorial six months ago using our equipment. He could go out to the patient's family in the waiting room an hour earlier than expected. And if you've ever waited for someone you love to come out of surgery, you know, every minute feels like an hour. Mm -hmm. He comes out and says, good news. The scope shows they don't have cancer. They're going to be fine. And then turns to the rep and says, you know, that's why I became a doctor for moments like this. Now that rep tells that story to another doctor at another hospital who sees themselves in it. That's the secret. And says, you know what? That's why I became a doctor. I want your equipment too. So the client said to me, oh my gosh, not only are we not telling a story, it never occurred to us to make the patient's family a character in the story. hmm and you'll see how I pulled you into the story by saying if you've ever waited for someone you love. Even if you haven't, you can imagine or you probably know somebody that has. So there's all those subtle nuances that make that story really sing. And it's also clear. It's concise and compelling. They can repeat it and uh, gives you little goosebumps. I had a client recently I gave told that story to. They said, I got a tear in my eye listening to that story because you're in that moment. You know how meaningful it is for the good news. But if the story just stopped at good news, the scope shows they're fine, it wouldn't nearly have the impact of the resolution of the doctor turning and saying that to the rep.
1: No, I love it. And you struck something key there is you got to know your audience. And so you can have the most amazing American football story (laughs) and then you get in the middle of Columbia where my wife's from and football is soccer Soccer. and they have no idea that might be the most amazing story ever told in the United States but that'll fall so flat in Colombia and so the key like to your point there's so many tools to research ahead of time take the time I know you do to figure out what your audience is you can use digital tools to really figure out okay this is what it's going to look like psychographic demographic because the best story is going to fall flat if it's in the wrong audience and then you also jog my memory on something here to make it compelling so Steve Jobs he was a great storyteller. So a lot of people think he's a great inventor. Actually, most of Apple's products were already there. He just made a better mousetrap. So meaning that the MP3 player for music already existed. And then he looked at, he wanted to make a better one. But everyone talked about RAM, processing power, bits and bytes. No one really cared when Jobs said, 10,000 songs in your pocket. 10,000 songs in your pocket. That's it that's the story and so um, I love it I love it okay what are the biggest mistakes that people make would you say especially on the sales side obviously they're not but let's assume they've bought in they want to story tell yeah and they go in to tell the story are there some common things that you see like oh oh no 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 that's like a, watching a rookie golfer they <laughs> they don't have the right swing they they don't keep their left arm straight you know so some common things you see out there.
0: The biggest mistake I see people making when they tell a story is they make themselves the hero of it. Okay. And they think, let me tell you all about me and my incredible life and career. And, and, um, you know, I'm calling on Nike and, you know, I buy Nike shoes and you're like, who cares? You're not the target audience. You know, it's not about you. Um, and that's why I tell people that the hero of the story in a case story instead of a case study, which is a big distinction, that is your client. And that's why you need multiple stories ready to go, depending on who you're talking to, as you were mentioning. So if I'm talking to a doctor, that's the story I tell. If I'm talking to the CEO of a hospital, I have another story of a CEO of a hospital being impacted by what I do. So, but it's always, you're the Sherpa or Yoda in that story. Um, classic example, the Super Bowl commercial that Kia came out with, with the electric car. And then there was this, Cute electric robot dog chasing the car. So we're now we're in a world where we go, oh, dogs chase cars. Now they're electric. It's cute. And the dog is running out of juice. And the owner of the Kia charges the dog back up. The owner of the car is the hero of that story by charging the dog up. Not the car. It, and not the fact that it is. So that's where people go, oh, they want you to become an owner of or a Kia. And so if you see yourself in that story, then boom, you're off and running.
1: Oh, nice. Unlike the spot that literally l- ran right after another car commercial where it's like
0: 4500 500 horsepower,
1: it's introducing and then it's like all the hard rock and roll that appeals yeah. to the CMO of that company, but does it resonate? That's a good point. I didn't even think about that with the Super Bowl ad. That's a really good example.
0: There's another one that I think is so clever, especially with your digital leadership expertise. It's a company that was able to get be part of the buzz of Super Bowl commercials without actually running on the Super Bowl. So when people were Googling all the Super Bowl commercials before they came out, one that was uh, in infamil And what they do is they deal with premature babies. And so their commercial is, the baby was due February 13th. It's six weeks early. And they were showing those commercials six weeks before the Super Bowl as if they were a commercial that's prematurely airing. So I thought, what a brilliant use of storytelling and not having to have that budget to actually run. And yet it's memorable because so many commercials, you forget the brand and there's no way you're going to forget what they do.
1: No, it's so well said. I mean, Nike's Made a play out that a lot with the Olympics often where they're not a sponsor of the Olympics, but then they're around the Olympics. They're sponsoring individual athletes uh, that have. And then the story is the athlete's story. And then how do I can see myself? Oh, in that athlete's shoes that they grew up in this part of the country and they didn't have any money either. They didn't have money for the any shoes they had to borrow their shoes and now they've made it and they've got the most amazing nikes and so no that makes all the sense in the world that makes all the sense in the world um what other any other stories that you go to that are kind of your go-to stories that some of the shorter ones that you might use that are your bag of tricks like oh i always pull out this story is a good one that i that i like to tell
0: yes i love to tell the story because of being a former lifeguard and a competitive swimmer when i got to meet michael phelps And I went up to him and I said, Michael, everyone says you're so successful because your feet are like fins and your lung capacity is bigger than the average person. That's like someone saying, oh, Eric, you're tall, so therefore it's easy for you to be a basketball player, right? I'm like, "Ah, I'm guessing there's something else. And he said, oh, yes. When I was young, my coach said to me, Michael, are you willing to work out on Sundays? Yes, coach. Great. We just got 52 more workouts in a year. Then I tell that story and I ask people, what are you willing to do to get to the Olympic gold level in your career that other people aren't? Because there's no second place in business. And so that little story, people remember and they start to think. And I also, the, here's another big tip for people wanting to improve their storytelling skills. I could have said to you, I met Michael Phelps and he said he works out on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Not nearly Yeah, interesting, Yeah. yeah. Right? Right. Uh, and But instead, I literally created the dialogue in present tense and changed my voice to be the coach and the young Michael so that you feel like you're eavesdropping in on the conversation. That's what pulls you into the story.
1: Right, and you didn't give it away. Uh, you mentioned journalism. Obviously, journalists lead with the headline. Mm-hmm. This instance, my guess is that you don't necessarily lead with the headline. You lead with something that draws them in, but you haven't pulled the rug yet. So, for example, just to stay with... Athletics Mm -hmm. is that my friend was working out in the gym and he was next to Tiger Woods and my Mm -hmm. friend was reading all about everyone has a number a number for something and he was in the gym and he's just like I got to ask Tiger you know Tiger what's your number he goes 18. And my buddy's like, oh, 18, got it, because that's the record for most major wins. Jack Nicklaus holds the record for most major wins, 18. He goes, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You're trying to get to 18. You're at XYZ. I think it was 15. You're at 15. You're trying to get to 18. He goes, no, 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 that's not it. And my friend goes, whoa, what do you mean? I mean, you said 18. He goes, no, when I go out to golf every time, sometime in my life, I want to shoot in 18, which means he wants to get a hole in one. Every time. On every hole, which is an amateur goal for the odds of getting a hole-in-one in your life's point zero 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 eight percent And here he is wanting to get a hole-in-one. And that, like Phelps, like shift your mindset. Yes. Uh, but since we're talking about storytelling, it's like, okay, 18, you've got me drawn in. Like, what's the 18 if it's not that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's like, boom, that's the whole point of the story is like shift your mindset.
0: Well, when you have a little hook like that, and the hook that I have in the sale is in the tail that I'm so excited with the reception of is helping people get back up faster after you've been knocked down. So we all get disappointed. We get frustrated when someone cuts us out of traffic or we get rejected and we're really, you know, down for the count sometimes. And what this tool I've created is what I call the five, five, five method. So you ask yourself, if somebody cuts you off in traffic, I, you know, that doesn't bother me. In five minutes, I'm over it. But some people hold on to it for the whole hour or whatever. But let's say you, you know, you make a big presentation to get hired and they say no or whatever the issue is. You can say to yourself, I'm the movie director of my own life. I can say cut at any time of what movie I'm playing in mm-hmm. my head. So I decide if I'm going to think about this for five minutes, five hours or five days. And is it going to matter five days from now? No, of course, most likely not. I'll, it'll be in my rear view mirror. I've had so many other things happen that are positive. I can let that go, right? And if it's really tragic, like let's say your dog dies or you lose a family member or whatever, then you go, I'm still going to zoom out five, five, five. All right. How about five weeks from now, five months from now, five years from now? I remember when my dad died, I was so sad. Now it's been five years. I'm like, I'm still sad, but not as sad as I was five years ago. And if I could, if I had known the five, five, five method, I could have said to myself, I'm not, you're not always going to feel this sad. And so now I have people saying to me, Oh, I just had something happen to me and I five, 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 it. Nice. I'm like, great. You know, we're bouncing back up the faster, the more resilient we are to life, the better we are.
1: No, that's genius. And you said the first five is five minutes.
0: Five minutes. Will this matter in five minutes?
1: <laughs> and then the second five is five hours. days. Five, five hours, hours and then five days. Got and it.
0: Five days, yeah. So
1: five minutes, five hours, five days. That's genius. Just like, and you said we're the directors of our own movie. Like you could say cut, you can change the channel, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I like about the book, The Sales and the It's because it's about stepping into your story as well. Obviously, it talks about storytelling, but some of the ways you become a better storyteller is by making sure that you're stepping into your best story each and every day. And knowing there's going to be those days, like you just mentioned, there's things that come up. My dad always used to say, when something went awry on a vacation, he's like, great, now we have a story. Meaning Uh that for some reason on vacations, you always remember the things that didn't go well. And so, same holds true for whatever we do, is that like when... Some people might ask me, it's like a headliner. Hey, tell us how you got where you are. I'm like, well, one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life is getting my teeth knocked out. Well, how could that be helpful? We're all good in that right now. But it's just like when something negative happens, you're not going to be a Pollyanna and go, this is great. But it allows you to go, you know what? I'm actually going to write this down to make sure I store it because that's a good story to tell because I know other people probably have gone through something similar as you mentioned. So that's great.
0: Well, Nora Ephron, the writer of several movies, used to say everything's copy to her. So she would, no matter how bad it was, a divorce, she turned it into a movie. One of the things I love most about writing The sale is in the Tale is it's a business fable. And it's set in Austin, where you and I both live. And it's, it's my way of giving a love letter to Austin by featuring certain places that I love about the city and making that, again, part of the exposition so people can picture where people are in the situation, even if they've never been here.
1: No, as a writer, how challenging was it to write a fable? Or are you like, maybe it wasn't as challenging because, I mean, you're one of the best storytellers in the world. And yeah, so it, it makes sense to put in a fable format.
0: Well, it's a story about storytelling. I've never yeah. done it before. And also, I, you know, the, so I immersed myself in all the fables that are out there that are business related. And what I noticed was you have to really care about the characters. I was listening to an audible one in a grocery store parking lot. and I thought, oh, my gosh. I have to keep listening to find out what happens, which I never feel like in a business book. So that was the goal. And I wrote down a list of characters, almost like it was a screenplay and had different attributes about them. And And um, and I was talking to somebody about one of the characters and I said, she's more Diane Sawyer than Katie Couric. And they go, oh, I totally get her personality. Yep. You know, so those subtleties determined how that person interacts with other people. And um, it was very creative. I loved it. And my goal is that people are entertained and involved in the story while they're learning something.
1: No, that's genius. You just subtly put something in there that's also really helpful. You said Diane Sore versus Katie Couric. Mm -hmm. You're kind of framing it. You're giving it like a movie trailer that it's easy for us. Your bullet's clear, right? (laughs) Clear, okay, and that's also it's concise it's short okay now I know who that character is right you mentioned that so that's you know, genius. Diane
0: Sawyer has more gravitas than Katie Couric and in business I wanted this character to have gravitas and not be bubbly you know so it's not morning talk show kind of conversation even though you're running a meeting in the morning you're still you know uh, as Diane Sawyer would run a morning meeting
1: now this is a tough question but why is storytelling so white-hot right now I mean Part of it's like you look back in the 80s, like, we're in a meeting. We're going to talk about business. Let's talk about business and just talk about business. So it's always been compelling since the Bible. You think about the Bible. I mean, that's how Jesus got his points across was through storytelling. So it's always been powerful, huge. That's how you pass generation to generation long before social media. That's how you pass things on with storytelling. But but in the modern world... It seems to me that all of a sudden, when you think about universities are teaching it, you know, it just seems white hot. Any idea why?
0: My theory on why storytelling is so popular now is there's so much technology that causes things to be bought programmatically. They The old way used to be, you know, just get out there, show the product if you're selling a a scope or a Xerox machine and just describe how it works. And people have a need for it. They'll buy it. Now people can get all the information they need from the internet. And so if you're just another, I was talking to an optometrist preparing for my talk to Bosch and Lohm. And I said, what is your experience of hearing pitches? He goes, oh God, every rep comes in. They only have 10 minutes instead of a lunch because of COVID. And they all say the same thing. My product's the best. And then blah, 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 statistics on why it's the best. I don't remember any of it. I could read the stats if I wanted to see if the scientific stuff is there. I said, so it'd be much more interesting for you if they came in and told you a story of a patient that had a great outcome from using this. Yes. So that's why people are just like, I don't have time for more information. I'm already overloaded with information. But if you tell me a story, it might even be entertaining. It's tapping into, uh and we, we buy emotionally. And so I think people have forgotten that. They think, oh, it's so, you know. It's tech. They're not, it's a, it's a logical buy. No, it's not. So I think that's the reason why there's a craving for storytelling. I know as a storytelling keynote speaker, I used to have to convince people of the connection between telling the best story and winning the sale. I boiled down to what I do to four words. Tell stories, win sales. <laughs> and. and You can't imagine how difficult that is to boil down what you do into four words. And I created a little life preserver coin that I give to people uh, to remind them not to go back to the old habits. But they're like, oh, you know, we pitch against competitors and that happens in everything, right? It's a final three... It happens to us as speakers, mm-hmm. it happens to, you know, no matter what equipment, architects, everything. And we hope that we go last, because whoever goes last is memorable. And I said to the CEO, ah, uh, you can't control the order you present. That's your strategy? Hoping you go, get, they're gonna let you go last? But if you tell the best story, that makes you memorable. And it was like a light bulb, it goes, oh, so if we go first. We'll be setting the bar for everyone else if we tell the best story. I go, yes. And would you like to hear the story that I helped an architecture firm use to win a billion dollar airport renovation? Oh, yes. So suddenly now that now it's less and less. More people are just reaching out to me going, everything we're saying is about what and how and not about why. And we need storytelling. And so they're searching for it and coming to me most times with the results of the books and talks. So it's a whole different momentum now of, oh, I can skip the whole first step of why you want storytelling. Right, right,
1: right. You don't even have to explain it. It's just people do. They get it. They're like, hey, I'm here. You preach to the choir. How do I do it? And what about different generations? Because before, like if you had a Dale Carnegie from the 30s, great storyteller, even Zig Ziglar, even Tony Robbins, you can put in there more recently there's a little more patience for a longer story but because of social media basically if you had a story that could go 10 minutes five minutes three minutes generationally is it hold true that like the older generations might be able to build that story a little longer or not necessarily that it's all got to be concise now
0: i think everything needs to be concise i just had an experience with wizard play network you know they make you know, Dungeons and Dragons and the games and stuff. And they said, we need someone to train our salespeople how to tell stories to the retailers to upgrade the stores. It's a $20,000 investment and they are struggling with how to convince these people to do it. So I said... Let me go interview one of them. So I went down to San Antonio, where's the closest one. And I was asking the guy who had invested this time and money. And I'm looking for the soundbite, Eric, all the time. The soundbite, the soundbite. What's the hook? And I said, are you glad you did it? What's the best thing about doing this? Oh, we're a destination now. We're no longer just a place that sell games. That's it. That's my soundbite. That's all the reason. That's, that's That little line is the story that the salespeople now say to other retailers of why they would want to do it.
1: Perfect. Hey, this is a destination place. It's not just I have to come in and pick up this one item. It's a destination to go shop.
0: And play games with your friends. It's like a Starbucks experience. All of that causes people to, so your stories, you know, don't have to be long and drawn out. If they are intrigued, like, what do you mean by that? Then you have a little story to go with it.
1: No, that's true. I love it. And then destination, this, I'm going to tell a story just because it helps give our listeners an example as well is that there's a guy that wrote the CEO of, I think it was Cadillac. And this is many, many years ago, I think of the fifties or sixties, but many years ago, this is how you can make it concise. I don't have to say fifties or sixties. Like this guy <laughs> writes a letter to the CEO of Cadillac. He goes, Hey, I love Cadillacs. I don't think I'm crazy, but whenever I go buy ice cream, if I buy vanilla, when I get back to the car, the car works perfectly fine. If I buy any other flavor, The car doesn't function. And he goes, I know you think I'm crazy, but the CEO sends the top engineer down to meet with this guy and he rides along with him for a week. And he finally figures out the issue that the vanilla is at the front of the store all the other flavors are at the back of the store. And so, it was being caused just by that extra minute to go to the back, it caused vapor lock. So, that's why the car wasn't starting properly. And so, they realized and they actually solved, Cadillac solved for vapor lock. I might have the the mark wrong. It might be Pontiac. But they solved for vapor lock. It was a big issue with all automatic manufacturers. But that solved it. Just that ice cream, that ice cream, that guy took the time to write in that note. Uh, but again, that story, you could break it out. could be a lot more concise, but it's still kind of short. Short, and then people are leaning in, like, "Gosh, why is the car not starting?" If you get any other flavor but vanilla,
0: yes, it's almost like you know, if the lights are flickering, is it uh, <laughs> extraterrestrial or did, you know <laughs> something happened to the electricity? We want to always sort of believe that there's some mystical reason. And again, that's the storytelling part of our DNA that kicks in and goes, "My imagination's intrigued." Right? And so there must be. Is there a logical reason? Maybe there is. Maybe there isn't. But I'm in either way.
1: No, I love it. And then you might not have this, so I'm kind of putting it on the spot. You can say pass. But is there a story, use an example to where like, here's what it looks like, you know, beginning, you got me pulled in, then here's the end. And then the so what, now what? The clear, concise, compelling.
0: Yes. Um, I'm going to go back to the story I, I did with um, healthcare tech company. Again, they were selling a 4K resolution monitor and I said to them, "Okay, what are you currently saying?" "Well, this many pixels, this kind of resolution." Da, 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 da. I'm like, "Okay." So, now they tell this story. 6 months ago in rural Minnesota at a hospital not exactly known for state-of-the-art technology, they decided to test our 4K resolution monitor and the rep was in the surgery in case the doctor had any questions. And this particular surgery, the patient was in his 50s high BMI, he was overweight, which put the surgery at a risk, but they still did the surgery. And because of that high risk, the doctor hit a bleeder. You could hear an audible gasp of everyone in the surgery room, because to the naked eye, it was just a sea of red. And the doctor calmly looked up at the monitor, and that monitor could show such subtle changes in red between oxygenated blood and non-oxygenated blood that you could not see to the naked eye. And that monitor let him know exactly where the bleeder was saved the patient's life, turned to the rep and said, we don't always need a monitor like this, but man, when we need it, we need it. So now they're telling that story and they're selling a lot more 4K resolution monitors because that's tapping into our emotions. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. I don't want to be the doctor that doesn't have that and has to go fly blind, right? And there's so much emotion to that story that's clear. We know where we are. We know what's happening. We know why it's even happening because of the patient. It's not the doctor's incompetence. And then the doctor, I make the doctor the hero. He calmly looks at the monitor, right? He saves the patient's life. And then that resolution is: we don't always need it, but boy, when we need it, we need it. You start thinking of, you know, Captain Scully landing the plane in, you know, the lake in New York, and all these moments of all your training coming to fruition if you have the right equipment to use your skills and so that's what they're selling and not the number of pixels
1: genius and I love the part of that where they say we don't always need it because the best salespeople that I've seen and heard they'll tell you what they don't do well and so in this situation they can even come in and say I'm gonna tell you why you don't always need our product or I'm gonna tell you why you don't need our product (laughs) <laughs> then go through, if this is what's working right, on this day, you don't need it. Like everything's humming, you're good. Yep. But when something hits the fan, this is going to save a life. And so that's compelling. A lot of times to start a story is like, I'm going to tell you what we don't do well. I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't buy our product. I know that sounds crazy. But all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, you got me. I'm listening.
0: You're pulling back. You're yeah. taking all the pressure off of someone to say yes. Yeah. And you're you're like, I'm just sharing stories. I'm not here to push anything and that confidence you have because you know you're a good storyteller or that you have good stories in your toolbox, people pick up that energetically. Because remember, everyone's buying energy. Mm-hmm. And most mis- the big mistake salespeople make is they go right into the product. And I tell people, you need to sell yourself. And by sell, I mean tell your story of origin. How would you get into healthcare tech? How would you become an architect? Whatever it is. And then you need to tell the company's story. And again, this is a big mistake I see all the time. Oh, yeah, we got a whole st- <laughs> How many offices you have and how many locations and how long you've been in business is not a company story. A company story has to have meaning to who you're telling it to. So I remember talking to an architecture firm, pitching a big law firm, and I said, if you're going to talk about having global offices, then you have to use this phrase, what this means to you is. You also have global offices, and if you work with us, we'll make sure that all your global offices have the same look and design and feel so they're all on brand. Now you've connected the dots to that company story as opposed to just a fact.
1: No, that's great. I love what you mentioned earlier. It's a case story, Mm -hmm. not a case study. So the salesperson, or everyone's in sales. Just a reminder that all of us are in sales. We write books. Like you get done, it's like, congrats, you're 50% there because then... You got to sell the book. Like we mentioned, if you want to have your kid eat vegetables, you're in sales. And so storytelling works no matter what you do. But I love the case story because, again, a salesperson could go in and go, hey, look, I've got case studies in there because you might need them for your RFP, request for proposal. Mm -hmm. So we've got them in there. They're good. They're compelling. But let me tell you from the heart, here's a case story Mm -hmm. and then go into that. So that's a good approach as well. I love that.
0: And even if you have testimonials from a client and you can guide people sometimes and say, you know, instead of just a basic testimonial, would you mind describing how long ago we started working together and what problem you had before you hired me as your speaker or consultant? And now it's not just it was a great talk, but I would love a resolution to that. A year later, people are still referencing what I, they heard Eric say about focus or whatever the topic is. If you guide those people giving you those testimonials into story format as opposed to just a one-off sentence they're so much more meaningful again, because people see themselves in that story.
1: Oh, that's great. See yourself in the story. So we always want our listeners to go out and not, they can get it for yourself, but we always like to say, post it forward. Get this book for someone else. Get it for yourself and for someone else or get it for someone that needs it. Who—who Who is in, obviously I just said that everyone's in sales, but is there specific people that this really resonates with, the sales and the tale of business fable?
0: Well, on a personal level, you know, you can talk about vegetables twice now. So my mom used to, you know, we I watched Popeye as a cartoon as a kid, and he got strong from eating the spinach. So that's a subtle message of, oh, I need to eat the green vegetables if I want to be strong. Uh, I had an orthopedic surgeon took, you know, the premise from learning how to sell his products and services as a doctor. But then he said, my eight-year-old daughter said to me, Daddy, tell me a story. And he's like, oh, yeah, uh, have a good night moon or something. He said, no, 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 don't read me one. Tell me one. And he said I was like a deer in headlights. But then I remembered the structure of what you told me in this book. And I thought, let me try. And so he made up a story using that structure because he knew where he was sort of going. And so the storytelling has helped not only people get promoted and sell more, but it's now helping them in their personal life because everyone wants to hang around someone who knows how to tell a good story.
1: Exactly. And one of the tricks that I use is I try to, my memories could use some help. So I always write down, I've got a Google shared sheet, just I write down stories as they occur so I don't forget them. Mm-hmm. And I generally go back, oh wait, that's the story I used to tell all the time on stage. I haven't told that in like five years. Right. That's a good story. And so it when it happens to you, write it down. Um So get out there. It's just launched. I know your hair's on fire. So we're going to, cause you got book launch. So we're going to wrap, wrap things up with a little rapid fire round here. But uh, again, the sails in the tail. John Levisay here on the Super You podcast. We're talking about storytelling. Uh, best advice you've ever been given
0: by our mutual friend, Tim Sanders. Treat every talk you give as if it's going to impact at least one person's life.
1: Perfect. Yeah. Start with one and then it usually impacts a lot more than that. But if you can kind of identify some of the audience, that's great. I love that. Love that advice. Any uh, Aside from your book, any book, podcast, um, poem, movie everyone should check out?
0: Well, one of my favorite quotes is from Arthur Ashe, the famous tennis pro, who said, the key to success is confidence and the key to confidence is preparation. And I just live by that. And so I tell people, if you're going to learn a new skill like storytelling or any other skill, you need to be prepared. Don't try to wing everything because you will not land (laughs) the way you want to without the preparation.
1: No, that's smart. And I know you go over this in all your work that you've got to prepare. Like we talked about telling that American football story in a country that's soccer crazy. I don't know what American football is. It might be the greatest story of all time about American football. It's not going to resonate with that audience. So you need to prep and go in there and have that arsenal. If this, then that, especially in an open kind of sales form, if they ask this, here's a story that comes back to that. Any of you are interviewing. You're selling yourself. If you're interviewing, you need to be prepared for that interview. That's why you do those interview grids. It's like you got 10 stories, yes. and no matter what they ask, I'm going to one of those 10 stories to give them an answer. Uh, you know, I don't. I just remembered, like a Yahoo is crazy. This time, first time I was exposed to it when the CEO Terry Semel was going to be on these PR calls with Wall Street. They literally had in the war room just like six bullet points that are stories that are up on the wall in the head of pr whenever there's a question would point there's only six answers they're going to be given no matter what questions were asked there's six stories six answers were be given so it's all about that preparation as you mentioned
0: yes because you have to reframe things to give an answer that you want having been interviewed on live tv which is one of the most exciting and exhilarating and scary things I've ever experienced because your heart's pounding so fast. And you have to, you know, I remember the first time, um, you know, normally there's cameras that are pushed by cameramen. And the first time I went to a studio where they were uh, robotic and they were on these tracks and they were going from one set to the other where I was sitting and they come within inches of your face at a really high speed. And so your fight or flight response kicks in. It's like, what are these machines coming? Are they going to stop on time? And your heart's already racing for being on live TV. And then that happens. And then they go, and John Lewis is here to talk about how to be more confident. And he just got the "Mm," scared out of him. (laughs) You better be prepared to recover fast. And that's not going through your brain going, what was my point? Yeah.
1: (laughs) No, that's well said. Uh, we're going to wrap things up, but you just struck a point. You're very good at your cadence. I know that that's a lot of practice. Um, I have a tendency to either kind of rush through things or all of a sudden I'm losing focus per se. And I'm like, not, I don't have the energy that you need. So it's either too much or not enough. But there's right. something to the cadence of storytelling as well. Is there anything we can do to practice that or yes. any, any tips?
0: So glad you asked that. Here's the soundbite. Confident people are comfortable... With silence. And one of the exercises I do with people in workshops is I'll say, when someone asks you or gives you an objection, you don't have to rush into your answer. And so I'll have a stopwatch playing. Let's, or let's ask them if they want to go on the journey with us, a closing question. And you have to get comfortable with that silence to give them time to say yes or no. And it's the old way used to be whoever spoke first loses. It's not that at all. It's the opposite. Would you like to go on this journey with us? Does this Do I sound like the kind of speaker you'd like to hire? Then you say to yourself, I am patient and calm three times. And that gives them the energy and the they can feel it, that you're not pressuring them. and It's not a will of contest to get with that. So that's my big takeaway on cadence.
1: No, I love it. And then you struck something. So obviously you have to sell. You're out there selling. You want to speak on stage or get on TV yeah. or now... When you're going to speak, are there any go-to questions that you have? It sounds like you had one that's like, do you want to go on this journey together? So you're trying to get that buy-in. Are there some of those that you use that we can kind of kind of hear and then also we could probably use no matter what we do?
0: Sure. I think the key is to future pace yourself with whoever you're talking to. So if you're interviewing for a job, You can say, "What would it look like if I were to exceed your expectations in this job?" I've had somebody get hired on the spot by asking that question, as opposed to, "When's my vacation start?" (laughs) When I'm a speaker, I will say to them, "Let's imagine it's a week after the event, and we have a call. And by the way, I would love to do that. What would make you feel like this was one of the best events ever? What would you like to have seen and heard from people for them for this for us to really hit a home run for you?" And they're like. Oh, well, people would not be on their phones. People would be quoting you. They would be implementing the stories that they learn from, you know, and they start imagining me doing it. And so future pacing people of what would life look like? What does it need to look like? And then, of course, I put all that in my proposal that that would be the deliverables of what they want.
1: Perfect. And then are you a big believer? Because a lot of folks say in sales that you, whatever you're doing, that you get in there and go, hey, you've asked me to come to this meeting. Can you tell me why? Or for what we do, we're on, there's like three people that are deciding to have speak on stage is, hey, you know, thanks for having the call. Do you mind walking me through why you think I'd be a good fit? For the audience, it's kind of uncomfortable to ask that question, to be honest, because it seems very ego-driven. But do you buy into the notion, because there's some science behind it that says if they Uh, then tell the story about why they want you on stage, that you're more likely to get the deal.
0: But it's all about how you ask the question. I personally never ask a question that begins with the word why. Okay. Puts you on the defense. Interesting. So I'll say, would you do me a favor? I'm sure as a marketing expert, you can appreciate that. I would love to hear how you found me. Mm-hmm. And then they go, oh, we heard you on a podcast. I read your book. I listened to your book. Somebody else prefer. And then we have a conversation. Oh, was there anything in the podcast or on the thing that made you think I'm your guy? And they go, yeah, when we heard that you called yourself the pitch whisperer, and we said, <laughs> that's really cool. That's the kind of branding we want. We wanted you. You never know what they're going to say, but they're telling you what if your SEO is working or, you know, or, or I should keep, doing podcasts, you never know who's listening. So those little tips, but I don't ask it in a way that's confrontational at all. It's like, would you do me a favor? Can I ask you a question? I'm sure you can appreciate why I'd want to know this. And um, then they go, yeah, I I used SEO for a week and I looked at a bunch of stuff and I, um, I ended up picking you because of what you said in your TEDx talk or whatever it is. It's fascinating to hear their journey and their decision process of, so you just called and booked me without even talking to me based on that. You know, great. <laughs> uh, and, uh, okay. That's your journey. Got it. So it's that, but it's nobody usually minds if you ask it in that way.
1: That's another good nugget. Avoiding why. Cause that, I never thought about it that way. It puts that person on defensive. We've just said, Hey, you know, I'm super happy to be here. Any insight on is there anything that you saw that you go, this is a good fit mm-hmm. for. Right. This product or me, like speaking, whatever it is, like product, service, a person, doesn't matter.
0: Well, even as you know, I know you're really committed to being the best dad you can be. The difference between how you talk to your daughters, why did you do this versus yeah. what were you thinking that made you th- behave that way that you thought that would be okay?
1: Yeah. Walk me through.
0: Kind <laughs> of <laughs> help me understand.
1: Walk me through why the slime would be a good idea to put on the stove. Yeah. Okay. So, and then you go like, I could see that, but this didn't end well because this is, this is how the science works on that one. <laughs> No, this has been amazing. I love it. So good. So many good things. I've taken them off. Clear, concise, compelling. You've got the 555 method. We control our life. You know, just hit cut, stop. Am I going to care about this five seconds from now, five hours, five days? You know, that's so cool. 555 method. And then the one that I just took away just a second ago was the why. Don't put people on the defensive and think case story, not case study. And most importantly, the sales and the tell is a business fable. We're all writing our own story right now. I hope you're all stepping in your best chapters of your life. Hopefully, the Superview Podcast helps you because we have great guests like John Livesey on here. And so, John, I can't thank you enough. It's so good to see you. I'm super excited. I was honored to do the forward, and what a great business fable. Congrats.
0: Thanks so much, Eric. It's been a pleasure. And you're such a great host asking so questions that bring out the best stories.
1: Love it. Love it. Well, you're the best. You're the pitch whisperer. That's a pitch whisperer. John Livesey. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining today's podcast. As you know, it's sponsored by Amazon Prime. You can get great things on Amazon Prime like The Sale is in the Tail by John Livesey. So go ahead, order those in bulk. A hundred fine. Just order a hundred copies and we will be great. Uh, feel free to post a review, obviously, for the book. But that's how people discover it. And once you get to read it, you'll understand how amazing it is. So thanks again, John. And thanks to all you, the listeners out there. Until next time, remember, we still have to have the courage to wear the cape. We've got the superpower within us. It's all about unlocking and unleashing that superpower on the world. And until next time, remember, this is your host, Eric Qualman, letting you no know man's equal man. It's not what we take from the world, it is what we leave behind.
0: Seven. Six, five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super.
1: Super you.